What are you? Treasury? Foreign Asset Control? I'm in the CIA. What do you want from me? Your employers won't know you work for us. People you love won't know you do either. It's gonna get lonely, but it's how we like to do things. Come on, you can do better than that. I can, and I do, and so do the people in my unit. Which unit is that? The one that makes sure we don't get hit again. Welcome to Now Playing's Tom Clancy Movie Retrospective Series. You're not a field man, Jack. You never were. You are an analyst. Analyze that. Join us each week as we watch and review all the film adaptations of Tom Clancy's novels. Welcome to the CIA, sport. Hosted by Jacob. It is an honor to speak to you today. Stuart. No one understands this material better than you. And Arnie. Call it the way I see it, that's my job. This podcast may contain detailed plot spoilers and harsh language. There's a very real scenario here where we don't get out of this alive. Listener discretion is advised. Start the music. Today we're discussing The Hunt for Red October, starring Sean Connery, Alec Baldwin, Scott Glenn, James Earl Jones, Sam Neill, directed by John McTiernan. This is the now-playing co-host who's not chief of the boat. I'm Sheena, queen of the jungle, Arnie. And Stuart. And this is your co-host and analyst for the government, Jacob. That's true, guys. I work for the government. I am an analyst, not the CIA, not the FBI. I'm not stopping any world wars. Uh, Usually I'm just yelling at Excel because it's crashing because there's too much data. It's trying to crunch. (laughs) (laughs) So do you know Jack Ryan? Does anyone know Jack Ryan? This is the first installment of our Jack Ryan series. Does that name mean the same thing as James Bond? Uh, I wouldn't say the same thing, but I know it because I've seen most of these movies, all of them, but the Chris Pine one, and I've read a couple of the books before. Yeah, I'm in the same boat as I hadn't heard the name before this movie came out. This movie was a huge success and a major phenomenon in 1990. I caught this on video, and then I saw Patriot Games in theaters with you, Stuart, and here's how much I loved it. I then saw Clear and Present Danger, half-watched it on video, did see some of all fears in theaters, and I, at the time, was like, people are really going to be interested in Jack Ryan movies. We gotta do a Jack Ryan series leading up to the Chris Pine film, And then that movie tanked, and we're like, thank God we didn't do a Jack Ryan series. (laughs) It came out at Christmas. It was really going to ruin my life for lots of reasons. I'm like, please, can we just kick the can? Well, we have kicked the can to a sixth movie. Believe it or not, nobody knows what (laughs) movies are coming out if ever again, but a movie based on Tom Clancy's Without Remorse, that's the sixth Clancy-verse novel, although I don't know if it's a Jack Ryan novel, per se. It's not a Jack Ryan one. I've read that one. It, it kind of reads, the first half is kind of a Punisher story. It's it's one of the side characters that I think we'll see more in the other movies. I don't know if he shows up in this one. Right, yeah. Michael B. Jordan is going to be taking over the star-making role, and he's an actor I like. That could be a very good movie. At this point, nobody knows much about what what the movie's going to be or if it will hold that release date. But that's kind of what we're building up to. Five movies in between. I've seen three of them and uh, hadn't read any Clancy. Oh, this is your first time? Because again, I've read some Clancy. I've read Executive 
Orders, I believe it's called. That's the first one I read, which comes way late in the Jack Ryan story. Spoiler, that's when he becomes president of the United States and has to take on, like, Iraq and I think the Japanese. And there's a whole bio-germ warfare thing going on and homegrown terrorists trying to blow up the White House. But it's also a lot of, like, stuff about dogfights where I just skipped, like pages and pages maybe chapters because it's so technical i didn't know what he was even writing about yeah that's the thing i tried to go through my brief history of spy novelist you know if ian fleming created you know james bond and made espionage seem like a male sex fantasy robert ludlam jason bourne he was the paranoid actor john le Carre's george smiley he really, I mean, he was in MI5, and he really saw spy work as boring. Like, he, he, he brings up the drudgery in espionage. Yeah, I don't know if you've seen in The Spy Who Came In From The Cold, but that's like the real James Bond, and it's, yeah, not that exciting. But I like that movie. Good movie. Check it out. Yeah. So Clancy, I think what he gets credited for is he made a spy out of an insurance agent. That's the world that he came out of, that before he published The Hunt for Red October, kind of independently in 1984, he spent 10 years crunching numbers at a Connecticut insurance firm. And naturally, his hero is kind of a bean counter. He's a nerd. This is not going to be a part that you would give to Arnold Schwarzenegger. And the novel spends a whole lot more time on the literal nuts and bolts of a submarine spec than it ever will on telling you Jack Ryan. In fact, I will just go ahead and say Jack Ryan is only one of probably 50 characters in the Hunt for Red October novel. Yeah, I think these all fall in that techno-thriller category. We talked about the Andromeda Strain, that 70s one, where it's more about the science than characters, and I think that's where Clancy fits in. I remember seeing this. I saw this in theaters twice, Hunt for Red October, once with my parents and my dad's parents my grandparents and a lot of that movie was like my grandma or grandpa going what's going on and my dad like trying to have to explain the movie to him and like I was sitting there just totally lost as well yeah I mean I think that it feels like a book like our dad's read right like I feel like Tom Clancy is for your dad and not for you I think he owes his whole career to the fact that he released it on this little press that was basically for Naval Institute materials and it circled the beltway and eventually wound up on the desk of Reagan. Ronald Reagan, as president, read it. And my memory was, he said, it was the best book he ever read. The actual quote is, it's a pretty great yarn. <laughs> Not quite the same thing. <laughs> is that what he said? Because I know it propelled Clancy into stardom. Like, it became a bestseller after Reagan endorsed it. That's absolutely right. That, yes, it changed his trajectory. He got, he got signed to a major publisher, and the rest is history. I mean, you go into any airport, and you know that there's going to be a rack of Tom Clancy novels. That's the thing. I have never bought a Tom Clancy novel. I have found them while traveling in the airport. Like, people just leave books behind, I guess, that they finished reading. And, like, I would just pick them up and be bored and, and read them. That's never paid money for one. Yeah, there's a whole concept of an airplane book or an airline book. That's why they sell them is you want things that are quickly sold based off cover and title and that people can just read in bite-sized bits and maybe the length of a couple of flights and it's an entire market Stephen King is huge in that market whatever I thought of the movies no part of me decided I wanted to read all of the Jack Ryan novels I came close 
I did come close, and then I decided to read all of William Shatner's Tech War novels instead. And I think I made the right choice. <laughs> I'm not sure that there is a right choice there. Yeah, there's something better to read, I'm sure. I was going to do it, guys. I was going to take that deep dive. I was thinking that Books and Nachos was probably hungry for new installments, and I was going to do it. And I am going to read the Tom Clancy novels adapted from the movies we're covering. Again, five movies Four of them were based on Tom Clancy novels, but I just don't see the value in me trashing him week after week. I mean, reading this book, it was honestly like a sports commentator narrating a game of risk. It was so much about where airplanes were and quadrants and specs. And again, it's just not what I try to get out of when I read a novel. I want to understand character or at least military strategy. I thought it would have something to say about Soviet East versus West you know like just something around that but his notions of America are very simplistic and rah 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 I mean Tom Clancy literally spins where this movie ends there is another 140 pages where he talks about the Russians watching E.T. and Star Wars and like a gape <laughs> talking about how great America is and why did we ever live with communism yeah I tried to read this one just for this podcast and I got a maybe a third of the way through and just gave up do people like this deep level dive I guess they do he continues to be a bestseller and I know like his stuff is supposedly super accurate like there is the folklore that I read I don't know what the true story is but after this book came out he did get a visit from the CIA or the FBI asking him who gave him clearance to release this book because he got so many top secret things right or something like that yeah I think you know again he's a bean counter he's going to get all the specs he's going to make sure that all of the technology the boats the descriptions of of all the things that we're going to see in this movie movie are real. And so I guess that scared some people in Washington. They wanted to know what he knew. Just turns out that he read a lot. So you read the book. How close does it hew to the movie? I think they did a very good job of streamlining. Everything that we're going to talk about more or less happens in sometimes a different order, but they have cut out a lot of characters. And there's going to be people you're going to see that get walk-ons in this movie that I'm like, oh yeah, I could tell you all about their drunk driving car accident. Yeah, because there's too many characters in this movie. Like, I don't know why Tim Curry's in this film. Like, I'm glad to see him, but I don't know what his character's there for. I am slapping my forehead. They cut characters? There are too many characters yes. in this movie. <laughs> No, they pick their favorites. And again, Jack Ryan is only one of many. I suppose he is the hero because in the end, he's the one they're talking about at the very end. But uh, again, it's a team effort. And I think the hero is America and technology. Yeah, my memory of this film is Alec Baldwin and Sean Connery on a sub for two hours. Nope, they don't meet each other until like the last 30 minutes, maybe? Yeah, I saw it back in the day. I went to the movie theater with my dad and my brother. It was the movie to see in March 19. 1990, and I remember thinking it was a little hard to follow, and not all the sub stuff looked good, but I more or less liked it, and the thing did well. I mean, it made like $120 million at the box office, which was a very good box office in 1990. Won an Oscar for Best Sound Editing. Not Best Sound, that went to Dance with the Bulls. It won Best Sound Editing. They always go together. I, I'm shocked. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I, I guess all the pings and pongs that you hear. I mean, <laughs> but uh, yes, it was a big hit. Had video games and a board game. Did you guys ever play any of that stuff? No, I played Battleship. Yeah, I know. That's what, that's what the board game really looked like. A really complicated TSR version of Battleship. And then there was a DOS 
kind of text-based sub-simulator, and then a couple games based on this movie that actually got to use Sean Connery in the game itself, had cut scenes that emulated what happens in the movie. You actually get to have the shootout in the sub as Jack Ryan, and you get to pilot a sub around and shoot dolphins and torpedoes and what have you. Why are you shooting dolphins? They did nothing against the sub. <laughs> they messed up those tuna nets, Jacob. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was a Lethal Weapon 3 crossover. <laughs> but yeah, again, my point is that it was a cultural phenomenon that touched everyone at the time. But again, I enter into this whole series wondering, is there a lot of love for Jack Ryan? Is there a lot of love now for Tom Clancy? I guess we'll find out. I mean, again, Amazon's got two seasons of a Jack Ryan series. I, I could talk about that. I've watched that for, in prep of this retrospective. Yeah, we'll get there eventually. I think we'll cover all that we can as we build up for the next several weeks. But let's get to Hunt for Red October. Arnie, why don't you give him the plot? In 1984, the Cold War was very much in progress, with the Soviet Union and the United States continuing their one-upsmanship of who can have the most destructive weapons. And when the movie starts, the Russians are about to test their newest weapon, a submarine that carries nuclear missiles, and because of its Caterpillar engine, it can't be picked up on sonar. As they say in the movie, it could get right outside of New York City or Washington, D.C. and launch missiles before we know it's there. This new Typhoon-class sub, Red October, is captained by Marco Ramius, played by Sean Connery. Ramius, however, plans to defect to the United States and take the sub with him. Most of his senior crew know about his plans and also want to defect. Ramius has to kill the boat's political officer, making it look like an accident, and then tells the rest of the crew they're doing training maneuvers when, in fact, they're running from the Russian fleet who is out to destroy or recover the ship. The USA has gotten wind of this as the U.S. sub Dallas heard the ship before the silent engine engaged. So CIA analyst Jack Ryan, presumably the star of the show played by Alec Baldwin, is brought in to analyze the Red October's threat level. In doing so, and watching its maneuvers, Ryan thinks the boat is trying to defect, though his superiors don't believe his theory. Ryan is flown out to the Dallas to try and make contact with Ramius and help him defect. When contact is established, Ryan boards the Red October, right as the Russian submarine fleet has arrived to destroy the sub. Worse, there's a traitor on board. One of the cooks... He's tried to shoot all the command crew for defecting, but Ryan chases him down and kills him. And with the aid of the Dallas, they're able to convince the Soviets that the Red October was destroyed and the traitors killed. In fact, the Red October was hidden and its survival masked by an early exploding torpedo. The Red October is hidden in a river in Maine, and the Russians are led by Jack Ryan into America as credits roll. Did this movie beat the Coen Brothers Fargo to making a false claim about it being a true story? I don't remember this, but it's like, yeah, this is a true story about a, what really happened to a Russian sub that sank. Didn't Andromeda Strain breed all of them? Yeah, the Andromeda Strain lied. They tried to pretend they were real <laughs> when they weren't. Clancy actually did base Hunt for Red October on two actual events in Russian history. In 1961, Captain Jonas Pleskis disobeyed orders and took his rig to Sweden, trying to defect. He was eager to get out of the Soviet Union because his whole Lithuanian family had been purged by Stalin after World War II. And he did eventually get to live in America, so he feels a lot like the character Sean Connery plays. And that was with a sub? Yeah. Okay, because I know they mentioned a 
Soviet pilot doing it with a MiG. And I've actually read that book. That is a true story. And the book's called MiG Pilot. I don't even know if it's in print anymore, but interesting read because it's more about the people than all the technical aspects of the planes and subs and all that. But I know this was a thing. When I saw this movie, though, I didn't know what defection was. Like, I had to wait way into the movie until they explained it. And then there was this other incident, too. I don't know about that one. But in 1975, a whole Soviet frigate got mad. They had an uprising, mutinied, and they weren't trying to seek asylum. They just actually drove the boat back to Leningrad to protest like how much communism had failed them. Like the sense was that the current administration was not honoring what Lenin intended and that, yeah, Russians deserved better. So they were just basically making a peaceful protest. And you know how that went down in the Iron Curtain. One got put on firing squad. The other one went to the gulag. And in 1984, I mean, the the fall of the Soviet Union is just five years away, but 1984, we were all kids then. It felt like we were in the heat of the Cold War then. Yeah, when this book got released, it was 1984. And so, yeah, the ending of this, there was no sense that what was going to happen here could ever end the Soviet Union. But that isn't the sense when this 1990 movie came out. Yeah, it's kind of unfortunate timing about the movie because 1990... The Berlin Wall had fallen, it hadn't been torn down entirely, but Russia was faltering, the Cold War was pretty much over, so you have to play on recent nostalgia and convince everyone, yes, we still are going to have the Russians or the bad guys movies here. Yeah, this is a period film. In 1990, it was a period 1984 film. Six years earlier is an entirely different era. Again, the Cold War was done by 1990, and Gorbachev... Was, I mean, I remember feeling like that. Like, this wasn't scary as a threat that a Russian nuclear submarine was coming at us. But that's what they're playing with here in the beginning. And I do wonder, in casting Sean Connery, would you assume that he was a bad guy or that he was, in fact, going to be a defector? I would think defector because of who Sean Connery had been at that point. I mean, I knew him from several things. He was almost always the hero. And I think even the trailer sold it as he is trying to defect. Unless you just turned this on randomly and are like, I've never heard of this movie. I think you'd know what you're in for. No, the trailer makes it seem like he. they take the line that he's going to fire a nuclear missile at Washington. So they really did tease the idea, at least, that some people thought he was a threat. Okay, again, I didn't see this till video, so... I knew turning it on, but... Yeah, and this time I knew that he was trying to defect. Again, the first time I watched this in theaters, I really didn't understand anything that was going on. But I knew the basic plot going in, and I was kind of surprised, like, that they don't play that tension of, like, oh, he's actually going to nuke the U.S. Like, it pretty early on, they're going to state he's going to defect, and I, I believe him. And they're, they're, we're going to hear a lot of other things throughout the movie that m- maybe will make you question otherwise. But I feel like they ruin a lot of the tension because they reveal that so early on in this film. And because it is Connery, I, I don't feel like, yeah, he's going to nuke the U.S. I, I feel like he's going to end up being a good guy. Agreed. I mean, he was coming off his Oscar for Untouchables in the third Indiana Jones movie. It would be ghastly to think of James Bond doing this to us. I, I, yeah, I agree. I feel like it signals to everyone. They, they had looked at other actors, a Russian actor, and they realized probably pretty early on. I mean, Clancy makes no bones about it. We know the motives of this character. 
uh, really from the first chapter. We know that he is bitter, that his wife died, and I don't know if it gets really clearly explained in this movie, but he wants to believe in Christianity and that she's gone on to heaven, and of course, in communist Russia, he cannot advocate that belief. Yeah, that's what really turned me off when I tried to read this book. All the pro-America propaganda that, yeah, you this one Soviet commander who really is Christian and wants to believe in God, and I'm, look, I know those Soviets existed. It's just the way it was written. I couldn't get into it. Yeah, I, it was with a heavy hand that all of this was applied. I did not find it to be great character work, but, I mean, here, I think we just naturally assume Sean Connery is a good guy, and he's got a twinkle in his eye, and very quickly, he's going to even stop speaking Russian, because he's not very good at it with that <laughs> Scottish brogue. I am so glad they didn't try to do, what, three quarters of this movie with non-Russian actors speaking Russian. And I like the way, you know, this is directed by John McTiernan, who did Die Hard, and filmed by Jan DeBont, who did Die Hard. And the way they zoom in on that one guy's mouth, he's the political officer. If you can think about that, you know, well, who do you have on your ship? Captain, first mate, the political officer who makes sure you follow the government propaganda. But they zoom in on the political officer's mouth, and then it just switches to English. And I think the first time I saw this movie, I didn't even notice. It was just so smooth. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, it really impressed me the first time I saw this. I noticed it. I'm like, oh, good. I'm not going to have to read it. It's just a nice little cue that, hey, they're still speaking in Russian, but we know you guys don't want to read English subtitles the whole time. I do think it's funny. Once they start speaking in English, it really does feel like Jesus' disciples in The Last Temptation of Christ, where you got Harvey Keitel as Judas with the Bronx accent. Accent and everyone's got their own accent. <laughs> Sam Neill, Tim Curry, Sean Connery, like all very inconsistent, but uh, probably better than if they were all trying to do Russian accents. Scottish, Australian, English, yeah. British. Yeah, all <laughs> yeah, all of the, the Western languages. It's cute, but yeah, McTiernan credits this. He got this idea from Judgment at Nuremberg that he wasn't the one that innovated it. But I agree. It's a great way to give the authenticity that we're on a Russian ship. I totally believe it because we're reading those subtitles. But yeah, American paying audience does not want to do that for long. And the zoom in, zoom out is a perfect way of just establishing mood and then establishing that Ramius is willing to kill in order to protect uh, his true mission. Yeah, he has this political officer and... Yeah, he has to get him because he has that second key to get the plans out, whatever their mission is for this sub. But yeah, he gets that, takes the key, kills him, burns up the... Uh, he burns those plans up, and it's weird because then he's got to call people in. I don't know. He, he What does he say? He, he got drunk and fell? Like, what is his cover? They spilled some tea and he fell and hit his head. That's what it is, yeah. They don't smell the smoke from the plans he just burned? I mean, that probably did happen. I mean, those quarters look tight and the careening and all of that. I mean, I could imagine that he wasn't the first person to die by tea, but uh, yeah, <laughs> I, I, you just don't question authority. The thing you have to remember is if the captain says it, it's true, and you're not allowed to have your own opinion about it, so he can just get away with it. Tim Curry probably voices a little bit of dissent there when he shows up and claims the body, but he is definitely not going to want to be written up thinking that this is a mysterious death. I thought Tim Curry might be a antagonist in this film from that scene. I thought he might be around and suspicious about what is going on here. This political officer shouldn't have died that way. And the biggest thing is the captain of the boat 
takes the second key. He now has the sole authority to launch nukes. It's usually two people, the political officer and the captain of the ship, both have to put in the keys and agree, we're going to nuke somebody. Now that the captain has both keys, which doesn't become a huge issue ever in the film, but I thought Tim Curry being Tim Curry, you know, same year as it... (laughs) So I thought he'd be much more a part of this movie, but he just, he kind of disappears. Yeah, part of the discussion that Ramius has with this political officer is, oh, are there KGB aboard? And I heard you kind of chuckle when you said the cook was the covert agent, Arnie. I I think he's supposed to be KGB. I think there's at least one on there kind of just because, you know, that's our opinion of Russia. Like they, they, we do that too. We spy on ourselves. So, but you know, the KGB has that reputation. And and so I think think that's what's going on but yeah you're always wondering is there a kgb is there someone that's gonna fight ramius and try to stop him from his plans to defect that makes a lot more sense they never say it i don't think no what they (laughs) what they literally say is it's the cook and then he gets shot and i'm like it was the cook well the cook is there when they're collecting the body he's the one that actually witnesses the key drop yeah, they kind of really zoom in on him, so you get you get a shot. Like, he's suspect number one because of that shot. But what we're to understand is all the superior officers were picked by Ramius. He was able to say, you, you, and you. So they're all in line. They're not surprised that this happened. Some of them didn't know that Connery was going to kill the guy, but, like, they're more or less committed to, yeah, let's all defect here. But this sub has a 100 people in it, inside. And so not everyone is obviously going to go along with this and if they get wind that yeah Ramius has killed Putin and is now defecting to America that would be a very bad scene for them and so that's why he really burns the original plans I think what they say is you're supposed to just do drilling exercises with this other submarine and instead he tells everyone hey we're going to Cuba yeah they're they're gonna like do some kind of missile test near the U.S. and then hang out in Havana and everyone breaks out into the Soviet Union national anthem? I guess they're super excited about Cuba. Sure. Yeah, I mean, he says we're going to go listen to the rock and roll, but like they didn't get the message. It's also, I think, that we're going to put one over on those stupid Americans. We're going to get right up to them and then we're going to celebrate the victory that we could have nuked him if we wanted. And everybody's happy about, yay, kill the capitalist pigs. Yeah, and that is the threat of this. I mean, when you really think about it, it is scary to think... That, yeah, some enemy country could roll up on one of our beaches with 12 nukes. I mean, that is, that potentially could have led to World War Three. It's potentially worse than the Cuban Missile Crisis. So I can understand why the CIA is alarmed when Jack Ryan is showing up with the photographs. Yeah, there's a lot of talk about doors. They're really concerned about these extra doors on the sub. Well, that's because they don't know what that is, and that's the Caterpillar engine. Yeah, it's just kind of funny. I'm not a a submarine nerd, so the fact that they're like, look, there's extra doors, it comes off funny to me as a layman. (laughs) Yeah, well, you didn't read the book. Like, this was this reams and reams of intrigue (laughs) about the doors and all of this. And our hero is not coming off a battlefield. He's not expected to go into a battlefield. He is taking photographs from London into Langley. But he is an ex-Marine, they mentioned. And Jack Ryan had an English wife, played by 
Dr. Crusher? Yeah, I caught her in just a moment. I'm like, is that Gates McFadden? And I had to rewind because she has one line and she has a British accent, even though I know that actress is American. And I'm like, it gotta be somebody who just looks like, no, that is Dr. Crusher. This was the time where she'd been fired from the next generation and was looking for work. She only took the job because she was promised it would be bigger next time. Oh, wow. Yeah, I don't think anybody, certainly Jack Ryan, is going to be changed out next time, but... They expected all these people to come back. Sure. Yeah, Sally is here. They, they're they doing so much little work here to just make this guy seem very normal in this turtleneck. And again, you look at Alec Baldwin and you are not thinking James Bond. You're just not. I think Alec Baldwin could have played James Bond, but McTiernan said that he really encouraged the actor not to be aggressive, not to be macho, try to come off as frumpy and middle-aged and, and unassuming. I know that Jack Ryan, he, he's going to be the consistent thing in these movies and in the Clancy novels. I don't think we get enough of him in this. Again, there's so many characters, and I feel like we're going to spend a lot of time with the Red October. I am kind of a nerd. I am an analyst. I wish I got to see those cogs turn in his head. Like, we'll see little scenes here and there where he's piecing things together. I don't know. If Jack Ryan's the protagonist, I wish we got a little bit more time with him. Now, here it's just kind of cute character work that he's he can't handle turbulence. Even on the flight over, like, he's like, can't sleep on the plane because, you know, the teacup is shaking. And the stewardess has never heard of turbulence? That kind of surprised me. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that <laughs> people knew what turbulence was in 1984. It might have been her first day and she'd never been on a plane before. For. Who knows? Wasn't it the name of a movie the next year? Ray Liotta? I mean, yeah. Be that as it may, it was a simpler time back in 1984. <laughs> He's going to arrive at the CIA and his boss is James Earl Jones. The behind the scenes commentators made a big deal about the fact that they saw it as very progressive that a black man was in charge. And one of the themes of this movie, I think, is we are to look at people and, and assume, can we trust them? This was part of that thinking that back at the time, lots of admirals, in fact, almost all the admirals were white and audiences may be expected to think, should we trust James Earl Jones, particularly since he's Darth Vader? Yeah, I, I feel like if they want us to question these people, they got to get different actors than James Earl Jones. Sure, he did the voice of Darth Vader, the, like the ultimate bad guy. But when he shows up just as himself, like I don't think of him as a bad guy. Again, I think of him, oh, he's a good one to have on your side, just like Sean Connery. Like, I don't fear these people. Yeah, look at the stuff James Earl Jones had done around that time. Soul Man. Well, <laughs> and, and the year before this, coming to America, where he was the kindly king, Jaffe Jafur. I mean, when I saw this movie initially, I'm like, James Earl Jones. I mean, he's huggable. Yeah, he is. And he definitely feels more in the spirit of Cola Powell or something like that. He's not threatening. We don't feel like this world is about conspiracy, the way some spy movies are, where you're trying to second-guess motivations and can we trust our own government. In Tom Clancy's world, you always trust the U.S. government. They're always doing the right thing. And I do think that, yeah, Jones ultimately projects the whole time uh, very much a sense that he's a, a workaday Joe that wants to do a good job. But again, the filmmakers just felt like American stereotypes being what they were, it would be a part of the theme that, yeah, I guess he's calling us racist. We just wouldn't assume that a black man would have reached this level of power. So in the book, Rear is not an African-American? No. Okay, because going with that Amazon series, they carry that on as well, having Greer being an African-American. So I think this movie is very influential towards the Jack Ryan mythology. 
Yeah, I do think that it may be the most popular movie in the series. Easily. I mean, I think there's a lot of people who know and have enjoyed this movie who don't necessarily equate it with a book series even. Yeah, and I remember my mind being blown when I found out that Harrison Ford is the same character as Alec Baldwin. Like, I never even pieced that together because I saw these movies so far apart. But, like, yeah, like Jack Ryan, I know who he is because he's been in a bunch of movies, but he's not that upper tier spy or anything like that. Right. And again, can we trust this guy? I, I That's the message they're trying to say about all these people we're seeing. Should we trust the Russians? Should we trust this guy? Who are these people in power? And should we trust Jeffrey Jones? No. <laughs> never trust. <laughs> Jeffrey Jones, even when he has a beard. At least if you got your kids around him, don't. I mean, I wasn't positive it was him under that beard, and he's barely in this movie, but yeah, that is the Dark Overlord. I feel like they had to include Skip Tyler because Skip Tyler is a major character. Gets probably as much time in the novel as Jack Ryan does. He's a computer nerd. He writes a computer program in a week, Arnie. You might really like some of that stuff. And again, he was hit by a drunk driver and lost his leg. I don't think they're doing that here in his one scene, right? He's not limping as far as I can tell. I thought he was just sitting the whole time. Or are they walking around that dry dock where they're building that sub, I guess? And he does have two scenes, but yeah, I, I think he stood. Right. His utility here is to remind, I suppose it's twofold, to remind readers that, hey, we're trying to honor this as best we can, but we're going to go through it really fast because we know what's important and what's not, and this guy really isn't. All that's important is he says, yep, that is some kind of uh, high-tech propulsion system. It's silent and fast. And I am totally cool with that. Call it Caterpillar Drive. It's the magic silent drive that makes it the sub go without being able to be detected. I, again, I remember reading the early pages talking about like magnets or something, and I don't care. Just tell me it's a magic thing that makes the sub quiet. Good enough for me. <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to complain. I, I would think you'd come up with something aquatic, not a caterpillar, but fine. Right. Yeah, I think the other underestimated character is this guy, Jones, who's just a sonar operator on this submarine, the USS Dallas. He's the guy that, you know, he's identified as, oh, you like that classical music and play it too loud and other ships can hear it. But he is the one to hear Red October Pass when everyone else is just thinking, oh, I'm hearing whale sounds and that's just nothing. Yeah, I do love the line, like, he swore he heard some singing, going back to that scene where they're all singing the national anthem for the Soviet Union. Like, I was surprised how much this guy matters, because, again, I thought this was all Jack Ryan, but there's a lot of time spent with this sonar engineer just listening to sounds and cracking just as much of this case as Ryan is. Yeah, and his boss is Scott Glenn, or Mancuso is the name of the character. I guess what I would ask is, are you guys feeling like they should chunk all this stuff and just make Jack Ryan the character in all the scenes? Or is it right to honor the construction that Tom Clancy had and spread the wealth around so that we have, again, a lot of characters of uncertain trustability? I never distrusted American characters the way this movie was sold to me. And I like the fact that you have specialists. You know, we often mock the generic scientist in movies who, how does he know physiology, biology, psychology, and atomic chemistry, you know? I'm glad that we have these experts. It makes this movie feel distinct from a James Bond film or one of those other movies where you just have one hero doing everything, knowing everything. So I like it, and yet 
it does feel scattered. It's like by cutting some characters, they knew they had to try and find a balance. I think because so little time is spent with the Americans is why we don't really have a great balance. We spend so much time with the Russians that I forget a lot of the Americans are here. James Earl Jones disappears for, what, two hours of the movie? Yeah, Jones <laughs> Jones doesn't disappear, but James Earl Jones' character, Greer, was just there at the beginning to establish the CIA. Yeah, and then he's going to show up at the end... Uh... <laughs> to do something and it to say i was never here and we know we we (laughs) forgot you were there we know that we saw the film (laughs) (laughs) do you look at these other characters as the q and money penny or, or or are you even making james bond equivalents i'm not thinking of james bond the only other one i care about is this Jones, this sonar engineer, because I I find his insights interesting. Again, going more on that techie scientific side, just like when he's really getting into the sound. Arnie, you probably love that, doing all this editing and having to listen to the sounds. I honestly wondered if I missed my calling. (laughs) You could have been on a sub. But again, you could have one or two additional characters to Ryan, but I feel, again, I was shocked how little Ryan feels like he's actually in this movie when I thought so much of this was just Alec Baldwin and Sean Connery hanging out in a sub. Sean Connery's top build got the biggest payday and would have been the name that everyone knew. And so I don't think it's wrong to feature him. And I mean, again, he is interesting because what's he going to do and what's his plan? I guess what I would say is given the book that they were handed, this feels like the right amount of time spent on all of these characters, for my opinion. But it is ultimately about the Russians hunting this sub. We, I think, have Act 2 kickoff when we have this Admiral Paterin who is going to open the letter that erases all doubt. If you thought that maybe the sub had wandered off course or, you know, was just taking its time to get to the training, nope. Ramius has said in a letter, I'm defecting, I'm taking your high-tech sub with me, come and get me. And he has a seven-hour lead. And we're supposed to just infer that, right? Because everything we're going to hear from the Soviets are, oh, he's coming to attack America. You guys got to shoot this sub down because they don't want the Americans to get this sub. And that's kind of like the fun of this film is like, how do you sneak a sub out of the Soviet Union and trick the crew to thinking it's sunk but we could get it and those those commanders could defect and we could research and all like that's fun i just feel like look i I guess this is going to appeal to some people i want to dumb down a little bit i don't know if that's wrong i i want a little bit more crimson tide my red october yes i agree completely i think even u571 the submarine movies would improve off of this and the movie i always think about as the one that embodies all the tropes of the submarine film is Down Periscope, where you have the everybody has to be quiet moment. <laughs> you really went there. That's really your go-to. I don't want it that dumbed down. <laughs> I believe the answer is Das Boot, but okay. I'm not saying it's a good film. I'm saying it has the tropes. <laughs> I don't think anyone saw it, Arnie. I think you only you. That's your reference. I don't think most people know what the hell you're talking about. The thing about that film and a lot of these other ones is we focus on one crew. And I think if we'd focused on just the crew of the Red October and not had all of this American stuff going on, this film would be more character driven instead of plot driven. Yes, it does seem like there are cliches in the submarine genre. I haven't seen a lot of them. It's not like a space that I find particularly cinematic. And I will say that just watching these subs, it just doesn't look that good, right? Do you know how they did it? No, I have no idea how they did it. They're not in water. They had scaled models that they just put in smoke. 
and they thought that they could use computer programming to create the flotsam and the bubbles and all of that stuff around it. In 1990, they thought that? Yeah. It does sound like John McTiernan has some regret about how they visualized these subs as well. He says, in retrospect, he wishes he had gone for some kind of thermal vision or just some other look because, yeah, these things are ugly. Yeah, I found a lot of times maybe my TV's brightness was just turned down. It was very dark and it was, it was hard to see these underwater scenes. It wasn't just me. I, I really questioned about turning up the brightness, but I have mine THX balanced. Yeah, I've balanced my TV, so... (laughs) Yeah, I'm like, it's fine for everything else. Do I brighten it for this? I didn't, but so many scenes I couldn't see. And maybe it's not in the fault of the movie. I mean, I accept it. I'll put it this way. It's not a problem for me, but it's not visually spectacular either to watch all of this visual attack. They have one big action scene here where I didn't know torpedoes could come from planes, that you could actually just fly over and drop a torpedo in the water, but they try to give us some kind of thrill here, and it it just ends up looking, well, very dated in its visual presentation. It seems to me, and I, I could be totally wrong, I'm no Tom Clancy, but it feels like subs probably don't move super fast. I don't know. I I could be wrong. So again, seeing a a sub slowly turn out of the way of the torpedo, not that exciting. I agree with that. What holds it together, I do think, is Connery. Like, you believe the moment because Connery sells it, and we see that he makes choices that frighten other people, but end up proving right. You know, he'll end up talking about his crazy Ivan turns, and, you know, you just get the sense that this man, even though you might want to doubt him, again, the theme of this movie is don't count him out he's smarter than he looks he knows where he's going and he knows what he's doing yeah what is a crazy ivan i mean does that differ from a regular left turn well ivan is just the name that they use like charlie was for the vietnamese it's just a an american slang term you know derogatory but yes they're basically just turning around to see who's behind them because you forget or at least i do because of the submarine stuff i've watched like wes anderson movies they don't have windows <laughs> You can't look out and see what's around you. You have to completely rely on that sonar. And so you got to be faced in the right way. Yeah, because there's a whole lot about like the USS Dallas. They're they're going to just drive right behind them and they won't be able to detect that or something. Again, there's a lot of technical jargon. I kind of just go with it and, and half understand it. It's kind of funny to watch like, yeah, that USS Dallas sub be so close and be like, where did they go? Like, you know, like you can literally be right next to it 400 yards away and have no idea once they kick on that Caterpillar motor. So it's just, again, I guess if this looks murky and like you can't see what's going on, that kind of creates the vibe of just being in a tin can and having no way to look out. Yeah, again, it doesn't look great, but it's 1990. I'm not going to hold it against the film too much. No, um, the blackness I'll hold against it, but the rest of it, (laughs) I didn't have any complaints about the visuals of this film. It's not that kind of a movie. We spend far more time inside looking at people's pensive faces than we do outside looking at the ships. And it made me wonder, I mean, is this film a drama? It's, It's not action. It doesn't feel like it has a lot of action going for it. It's not suspense. It's not thriller. Where does this fall? I don't know why you wouldn't call it 
political thriller, at least. I mean, they got an action director and there are scenes of torpedoes coming at subs. I think that if you went to a blockbuster in 1991, the box would be in action. I think that it's just we have a different sense about what action is today than we did back then. And I would definitely call this a thriller. It's not a thriller like, is this killer going to get you or something like that? How we typically think of a thriller. But, you know, are we going to have World War Three? It's very cerebral. And I think that is kind of where people are going to bump up against it. It's, yeah, you're not going to see immediate threats. It's all the potential of a threat or potential of war. I wonder if you could have just made it all in the Red October. I wonder if you could have just forgotten Jack Ryan and made it like a murder mystery because it's kind of intriguing to me the most exciting stuff is when they realize that they have a saboteur amongst them and as you've already pointed out who could guess it's the cook because they're barely in the thing if they had spent more time teasing the idea is it Tim Curry is it Sam Neill who's doing this and and who knows I think that to me would be more of my idea of what a thriller is yeah, exactly. Yeah, claustrophobic who done it on a sub. That that sounds fun. That's what I was thinking too. That would be thrilling. This movie, I guess I won't call it a thriller cuz I didn't find it thrilling. Yeah, it has its own strange vibe and I I know what you're getting at. It it almost seems to defy all categorization because it doesn't go far enough in any direction. It just kind of hovers there like that big old gray sub. It's just kind of Moving along, interesting, but not exactly pulling you in its wake. So is Jack Ryan pulling you in its wake? Act two is really where he comes alive. He goes from reading reports in the file room to having to present to the Joint Chiefs of Staffs and being assigned to go out and get this up. This is odd casting to me because who Alec Baldwin has become is such a far cry from who Alec Baldwin used to be that I can't even imagine Alec Baldwin in Beetlejuice. When I watch that film, I just, I don't see Alec Baldwin still. Here, I kind of see it, like he's becoming Alec Baldwin, but he's so nice in this movie, and that is not what you... He hasn't yelled at his daughter yet over the phone. Or anybody else. He hasn't come in, and Glengarry Glenn Ross, you know? That's Alec Baldwin. Win. Yeah, asshole is, I think, the word you're searching for. <laughs> that guy is an asshole. And he managed to turn it around and make that kind of funny. I think it was, what, 30 Rock that really kind of made him go from box office poison into TV award-winning star. I think it was SNL. He hosted SNL so often that Tina Fey and he got along and Tina Fey developed 30 Rock and was like, Alec, we want you to come and do this because we've seen you so often on SNL. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. My association with Alec Baldwin at this time was he was really struggling to take parts away from Kevin Costner, who was offered this movie. They were going to repair him with Sean Connery like Untouchables, but he was off making dances with wolves and couldn't do it. And so they decided in their minds, the producer said, we're going with an unknown because we like the idea of having this untested lead. I like what he's doing here. Again, I like that in my mind, I hear Jacob, you're saying it's not enough of him, but we are seeing a guy, a nerd, who's slowly but surely realizing he's got a gun in his pocket and he can be Rambo if he wants to be. 
Yeah, I, I like scenes like when he has to go to that Joint Chief of Staff's meeting and then he speaks out and, of course, it causes a whole hubbub hub by voicing his opinion and he's given three days to prove his theory correct and all. Like When he does get a significant scene, I enjoy it. I just don't feel like we're going to get a whole lot of those. We get his catchphrase here. And it's such a weird catchphrase, but I think we're going to see it in every movie. The thing about Jack Ryan is once per movie, he's going to go, son of a bitch, and have a realization. <laughs> this is an aha moment. Oh, I didn't know that was a thing. Okay, I'll be looking for that. I had no idea. John McTiernan actually said in the commentary, I don't think that came off well. Like, he was actually very critical of the movie. The whole time, he was seeing flaws and pointing them out and feeling like, oh, we could have done that better. And he ultimately had a lot of praise for Alec Baldwin. But yes, the epiphany, the reason why we have the son of a bitch is this is where we have Jack Ryan realize what no one else is willing to think about. They see a madman. They see a Soviet with a nuke coming at them. And Jack Ryan understands that he launched that ship on the day of his wife's death's anniversary and that he has nothing in Russia to tie him there anymore and is Lithuanian. And that's code for not really Russian. He's ready to defect. Is it too far a stretch? I feel like there's enough there that, you know, they call it a guess, a hunch. I buy it as a theory. Of course, it's confirmed because we already know what's going on in the Red October. As an analyst, like, you do look for weird anomalies because sometimes they'll tell you a lot about what's actually going on than what the majority of the data is saying. So, yeah, I, I get that. You look at these little weird outliers and they can tell you a big story. So I go with it. So as a Russian who's speaking in translated English with a Scottish accent, the equivalent of a Lithuanian speaking in Russian? Uh, you know, yeah. It, it, if you don't sense that Sean Connery is full Russian, that's good, because he re the character really isn't either. And I think even his command officers, if you read the book, you sense that there's always been a little bit of murmuring about his ethnic origin and how he's not full-blooded Russian. And so Jack Ryan is going to get three days to try and make contact. And then, yes, the U.S. is going to also fire on this sub as well. I think they say that there's about 50 Russian subs already coming there. So it's going to create a lot of problems. When Jack Ryan gets to the aircraft, there's a whole lot of traffic going on in the air and in sea and planes are crashing. Yeah, what is that? They're on an aircraft carrier. I, I'm going back to Top Gun, but a plane's crashing. It's like I'm playing that Nintendo game all over again. And I don't know. I, I don't know if I missed something. I don't know why we have planes just crashing on aircraft carriers all of a sudden. I mean, if you really want to know, you could read the book and hear all about how everything's up in the air. And Why in this movie, though? What does it tell you about the story? How does it progress the story in this movie? If you assume that this is a thriller, it's getting more tense because there is... It's just not good to have that many vehicles. But the plane wasn't shot down. I don't know. I don't get why it crashed. I don't get what it's supposed to tell me. Yeah, I don't think they had the money to show that it got shot. But yes, there was a lot of jockeying. It did get shot down? That That's what actually happened? If I assume that they're going off of what the book did, I don't think anyone flew over it and took a Polaroid. But there was a lot of jockeying <laughs> and middle fingering. And I do think that things got out of hand. And again, that's what you worry about when too many adversaries get in too tight a space. And I actually did enjoy the small scenes between the ambassadors of the two countries where the first one's like, well, we lost a sub. All of this is a recovery effort. And then it's like, oh, all right, we got it. We got a defector. We have to destroy them. And the Americans like, do you know what's going to happen if we get this many of our ships in one place at one time? It does 
help to sell some of the suspense of what's going on when we do get here and see all the crashing. Yeah, I think that you get the vague sense without maybe fully understanding why that things are getting worse. And it's really important that Ryan succeed in his mission. And he's going to be challenged here on the deck of the USS Enterprise by Fred Thompson, future senator. Four years later, he would he would be in Congress. But right now, he was still an actor. And I think he, he ran for president, too, briefly. Oh, that's right. I forgot about that. Yeah. He's the one that knows about Ryan's military history that, I don't know, it's almost too subtle a scene. But he doesn't like the fact that they put Ryan in a Navy uniform because, to them, he's really a CIA analyst. Again, they're always challenging the idea. You're not legit. You're not really what you're presenting. You're, you're a fake. And so, to prove that he's macho, Ryan is going to throw himself into a helicopter and do the one big stunt in this movie. He's going to drop down and ride into the USS Dallas submarine. Yeah, I don't know that I trust the pilot who's like, all right, we're low on gas, but I guess I'll risk it, even though it's against orders. I'd rather have the guy who is going to get us home without crashing. Yeah, if this stuff is supposed to be like thrilling edge of your seat, I'm not getting into it. I'm like, just get on the sub already. This movie is very long and it can use some trimming. Use less characters and and cut some scenes out. I just get on that sub. I If there was this whole thing like, oh, we're panicking because we're on the edge of war because of the sub. I don't know. I wish I felt that more. I wish I got that. I mean, but that is actually Alec Baldwin on that cord. They, they cut him. You can see it only for two seconds. It's it's unfair. I feel bad for him. He really did the stunt, <laughs> but you can only tell that it's him for two seconds. And yeah, I mean, that's kind of a big deal. It's here's what it is. You look at these kind of gymnastics and it feels like, yeah, that would have been really scary to do in real life. But on film, particularly in the age of the 90s of the action movie, post Die Hard, coming from the man that made Die Hard, these stunts feel pretty small. And maybe that's even to the movie's advantage. You could make the argument that this movie is more cerebral and more restrained than Under Siege. Yeah, which I'm okay with that. Again, I want it streamlined a little bit more, like make it, again, dumb it down a little bit, but I don't mind that they're, yeah, we're not going to see someone jumping off a sub as it explodes and they're propelled into the air or something. Like, I don't need that kind of action stuff. It's just the overall vibe that I, it just needs to be tweaked a little bit, I think. Yeah, I agree. Just, I could tell what they were trying to do, but at no point did my adrenaline flow or my pulse quicken at all. I get that they're trying to sell us he's a hero when he cuts himself free and could possibly drown outside that submarine versus not get to the submarine, but it just seems to not work as well as I would like it to in this movie. My favorite moments of this movie are always on board a sub, and so at least he's getting on board a sub, because that's where I like this. Now, does the fact that some of this, really most of this stuff is practical registering for you? I mean, they really built these subs and, and put them in the Pacific Ocean... Oh, yeah, because later on when they do a green screen when Baldwin and Sean Connery are just talking, it it looks pretty bad. So, yeah, the fact that they're going to waterworld it here and we're going to get some subs or or props that look like subs. And I like the sound stages that that they're going to use when they're inside the subs. I think it looks good. Yeah, I guess what I'm saying is because they've made this thing feel authentic, I can go along with it because even though it's not very exciting, I agree with you guys. That it's not thrilling in the way that I would love the movie to be, but it's engaging because I buy it. And that is enough. Yeah, it is enough for me as well. I can't say that I'm jumping up and down, but it's satisfying. 
I am still interested because I've only seen this movie once so long ago. I couldn't remember how they got away with it. You know, that's what I'm really trying to figure out is how are they possibly going to escape the unescapable scenario? Yeah, the one thing that Ramius can't count on is he has no idea what Jack Ryan is doing. Jack Ryan wrote a book about him. He studied this man. He claims to know what's in Sean Connery's mind. But Sean Connery's plan is based on the idea of he, that he's going to fake a radiation leak and get all these people out and then somehow just convince the Americans, hopefully, if he doesn't, you know, he keeps calling me, if I don't run into a buckaroo, then maybe they're going to play along and we'll be able to get away with this. It's quite a risk. Yeah, because we talk about Ryan getting on a sub. It is not the Red October yet that he's getting on. He's getting on the USS Dallas, and you're going to have this whole thing where they're, what, they, they got to go up to periscope level, and they're going to do Morse code, I guess, why Romius is looking, and, and send a message where Ryan tells him, hey, I believe you're defecting. Send us one ping, if that's the case. Yeah, Mancuso, I think he has orders to fire. You know, this whole time, he's the one that Jones has been like, I think this is a sub. He's like, no, I think it's a whale. Or it's a phantom. And sure enough, now that they know it's a sub, well, wouldn't that be a reason to stop it? A rogue nuclear sub. And yeah, the ambassador has already floated this false story that this guy is going to fire a nuke at Washington. Well, yeah. Yeah, because the Soviets want it destroyed. They don't want the Americans to get it. Right, yeah. By any means necessary at this point. I don't care who does the kill shot, but somebody needs to take this thing out. It's too humiliating if he brings our top secret sub to the enemy. And so it is ultimately because of Jack Ryan's belief in what he knows about Ramius you know, he, he makes some lie about how he's going to do this crazy Ivan, and thank God he does. And then he's been able to work out the rest of it in Morse code Periscope. Again, this is where I really wish I understood the crazy Ivan better and wish that I knew that Jack Ryan was making a 50-50 guess at that time. It would put me in more suspense if I knew he was faking. Yeah, I hear what you're saying. But I do, I, again, one of the interesting things, how do they pull this off? They got to evacuate the crew of the Red October so, because they're not all going to defect. Most of them want to go back to the Soviet Union, but they also got to convince that crew that the Red October is destroyed. So again, th this is a fun little puzzle to watch play out. Like, how are they going to do this? And we've heard so much about someone sabotaging the ship. I guess Connery just gets the idea, hey, I'll, I'll fake a radiation leak and tell everyone to clear out yeah that was kind of a good fake out because maybe just maybe this movie's confusing enough that you might actually think certainly post chernobyl you might like there could be actually a problem with this ship i i might actually think that they're in trouble here it is all just a big ruse to get all of the crew that is not defecting out into the rafts and then the, yeah they're going to be watching we need to create an explosion I was really confused, though, because they keep talking about the saboteur. And even when Sam Neill and Sean Connery are alone, you know, the captain and the first officer, they have a conversation about the saboteur. So that tells me it's not a ruse put on by the defectors that there's a saboteur. These are supposed to be, I think, hints to us about the cook in the end. You know, we're supposed to think there's someone nefarious on board doing this and so when there's this problem with the engine, even Tim Curry is there like, we have radiation problems. I'm like, is this really convenient? And this is a great way for Sean Connery to get these people off this boat? Or is this fake sabotage? 
and there's been real sabotage also, it was muddy to me. Yeah, no, there's fake and there's real sabotage. What Connery is doing is the fake sabotage. He He's just telling everyone that there's this radiation leak, and so they're all going to evacuate except the commanders, because I guess they got to go down with the ship. And I'll be honest, I didn't even really understand it in the book. It's far more elaborate, and I'm not sure. I think that this is what the writers just decided. We'll make it both because I can't figure out the plot otherwise. <laughs> And that sub that we saw Jeffrey Jones playing around with, the Mystic, it is a deep sea rescue sub. They get to break that out. That's why James Earl Jones is here as he's, it was, the line was dropped. It can get anywhere in 24 hours. And so he's here to give Jack Ryan's and Mancuso, the the captain of the Dallas and Jonesy are all going to ride over to the Russians and try to make peace. Yeah, this is where Greer shows up again because they got to fake that explosion so everyone thinks the Red October is destroyed. So, what, he sets that torpedo off like 300 yards away and I was never here. Yeah. They got several problems here now that we've reached the climax. And one of them is that there is this other sub piloted by Stellan Skarsgård in an early role. He is, I don't know if it comes through, but he was actually the pupil of Sean Connery's character. No, I didn't get that. (laughs) Yeah, I got that, yeah. Okay. Is there a line made? Yeah, he was the one that was going to do all the testing. Like, this was the the guy that Connery flaked on. And so now that he's found him, he feels like killing Ramius will be winning the chess match finally. He will finally graduate and be the best sub-captain in the Soviet fleet. Which was a change from where I thought it would go, which was, this guy was my mentor. I'm going to do something to let him get away at the last minute. No, it's the exact opposite. Yeah, and I think this is kind of thrilling. You're having Ramius say, hey, drive into the torpedo that's been fired at them, and you'll find out why. I guess torpedoes need to be armed because you don't want them to blow up right next to your sub when it shoots out. So because they charge that torpedo, it just passes them because it hasn't been armed yet. Yeah, I'm learning so much that I did not know. And yeah. I I thought that was a fun little scene. I got the thrills in that one. Yeah, but aren't the thrills based upon our ignorance? Like, if we knew that that's how torpedoes work, we wouldn't be in suspense, right? It's almost like a magic trick where they're not really doing magic, they're just cheating us. No, no, because all the Americans are like, why are you doing this? I mean, like, nobody knew this but Ramius. Again, this is, you know, he ends up telling Jack, like, you wrote this book on naval military strategy and you don't know anything. Watch this. And for some reason, I guess just for comic relief, they've decided to put Alec Baldwin at the steering wheel for a couple minutes. Yeah, why did they make him steer that thing? I guess they don't have a full crew on there. He's got to do something. You know what? It's just the satisfaction of seeing this guy that's in a sailor's uniform, a naval officer that doesn't know how to pilot is just a joke that they couldn't resist. It's in the book, too. But then you get a, a big shootout that we finally find out about the cook. Well, I think Ramius does get hit in the shoulder. Yeah, Ramius dies and Sam Neill is totally taken out after giving that whole soliloquy about how he wants to be with round women in Montana. Yeah, I had a feeling as soon as I was hearing all this Montana stuff, I'm like, well, you're going to be put out to pasture before the movie's over. I do have to say, the second time I saw this in theaters, I was in Arizona. We were visiting cousins. We went to the Dollar Theater where this was playing in the summer. And yeah, when they say, when Sam Neill says he wants to go to Arizona in the winter, the crowd went crazy. 
see. I guess Arizona loves hearing their state name to movies. <laughs> sure, why not? But yeah, it's kind of funny here. That It's a little melodramatic, is I guess what it would say. Like the way that Sam Neill is going to go out here. But it gives everyone a reason to come together. Now, Scott Glenn's Mancuso is going to hand the gun to Ramius so that he can go kill his errant cook. And Jack Ryan's just going to go with him because why not? You write history books. Of course you're a crack shot. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he is a Marine. He, he should know how to shoot. Sure, yes. I mean, they threw that line in there, right? And so, you know, we have Alec Baldwin parroting the Scottish accent of Sean Connery as he's climbing through the pipes. Is this as good as Die Hard? My feeling is no, right? No, 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 no. No. <laughs> no, it's not. Because Die Hard, you have a great protagonist, like a great character in John McClane. Like, you just love seeing the banter that he comes up with. I don't know if I'd want to spend, you know, two hours and watching Jack Ryan crawl through uh, an air duct system trying to get the terrorist. Does it need more attitude? Like, does he need to be more snarky and jokey and in that vein of an Arnold or, you know, a one-line quipper like, you know, even Clint Eastwood? I don't know if I need one-lines, but, you know, oh, I should be crunching numbers and here I am trying to crunch a a KGB agent or something. Every once in a while, I'd like something like that. How about stakes? I would like some personal stakes. He might not get to buy a teddy bear for his daughter if he doesn't make it out alive, Arnie. Well, it's bigger than that. This cook is going to wire the ship to blow up. Right, but the stakes of the entire film are, do we capture a sub? Do these people get away? It is World War Three. That is the stakes, I think. Yeah, I mean, with nukes involved, you can assume that if this cook blows up this sub, we now have lots of radiation and lots of dead naval people. No, I mean, if the nukes aren't armed, sure, there will be a little bit of radiation in the middle of an ocean at a depth nobody goes to. Except the aliens in the abyss. Yeah, I think where I'm not finding this John McClane worthy is John McClane was fighting for his life and his wife's life, and it just became a personal story. This is Jack Ryan's job, and so it never becomes personal to him, which, you know, James Bond is pretty much the same way, and I have a similar problem with that sometimes, but that's the trope of the formula. I mean, that is a political thriller. But of course, James Bond is all attitude, particularly in the Connery era. I mean, like that's, yeah, the personalities. I guess what I'm asking, I do feel like Baldwin has brought together a more aggressive, like we're, we're seeing him do more, but is it enough? And should it have been designed more as a lighter popcorn entertainment by having one-liners? Yeah, I do think the interesting thing with this retrospective is we get four different actors playing this lead. Alec Baldwin, Harrison Ford, Ben Affleck, and Chris Pine. I'm interested to see like if one of those actors makes this character a bit more interesting. And what's funny is, my memory is, they go the opposite way from what you guys are saying. Less quips, more serious, more real. You know, they go more for the Michael Crichton kind of techno thing instead of going for an action film in the vein of Die Hard. There are no jokes, really, in a Tom Clancy novel, or at least in this one. When I read it, there was not anything that made me laugh on purpose. (laughs) That stuff about the Russians watching E.T. agape did make me laugh, but it wasn't (laughs) supposed to. And I'll admit that I'm getting lost among some of the techno babble here, 
like I'm understanding kind of that they're having an explosion that makes them think the sub is destroyed, but it feels like it's time to wrap the movie up. Let's just put a bow on this and end it. Well, you do get a whole other torpedo like fight scene where it does feel more, again, for what we're referencing, Die Hard, or just more of like an action film where we're dodging torpedoes and they're locking onto other subs. Yeah, the U.S. military leads that missile. I mean, the Stallone was told, don't fire it, we're too close. And because of that, I guess, and American ingenuity, uh, this torpedo is made to turn right around and blow him out of the water reasons i'm i am lost at this point of what i follow what's happening i have no idea why you can't follow what's happening it's underwater it's all black <laughs> and, I, and i would suggest that if you really want to you can read the book this thing is no. three climaxes spaced out over 250 pages and so if you really want to understand the technical you can do that on the page you would never be able to dramatize it in a movie so the choice that has been made is we'll just cut it all together close and we'll hope that that feels translates as excitement and is the ending the nice capper for it? I mean, we get to see them all floating on rowboats down the coast of America to hide from the Russians that they actually defected and they're going to get their lives in America. Probably never get out of some kind of Guantanamo-like bunker where they're going to be interrogated by the CIA forever, but at least it's not Russia. No, no, they're going to set them up with a nice life. Again, I read that MiG pilot, like, they, they set you up. You bring them a, a MiG or a, a top-secret sub, like, they'll treat you nice. Yeah, in the political war, you definitely want to have those faces out there. Like, you don't want to hide them. You know, Barishnikov, you know, like, ballet dancer. Like, let's, let's let them know. Let's let the world know that this guy prefers America to his home country. And so, yeah, I don't think that they're hiding Sean Connery. They're hiding the sub in the river. And it just so happens that, you know, Sean Connery had a monologue earlier about wanting to have the peacefulness of his boyhood fishing adventures. They're kind of setting it up like Jack and him are going to be father and son and learn American values here. And that this event in and of itself is what brought down the Iron Curtain. The Cold War ended because he stole this sub. That's an ending they couldn't give the book because, again, in 1984, no one thought the Cold War was anywhere close to being over. But at least Jack Ryan gets to sleep on a plane finally. I, I guess this calmed his nerves. I do remember at least the first couple seemed to end on a cute thing. I won't spoil it next week, but his home life is the punchline, I think, for several of the movies. Yeah, and in this case, they've been telling him the whole time, get some sleep, get some sleep. And the thing about the turbulence, I can't sleep on airplanes because of the turbulence. And so that's made it so that he has been awake for four days and it still didn't impact his shooting at one bit. So, And he's got the bear. I mean, again, his little daughter wanted a baby brother and she's going to get a baby brother for her teddy bear Stanley. And next movie, I believe she gets the baby brother. I think if memory serves, that is correct. But did this movie put you to sleep? Jacob Stewart, do you recommend hunting for Red October? Jacob. Yeah, I mean, this one's kind of a difficult one because I think it, it's very much its own thing. We talked about how it's not quite an action film, not quite a thriller. There are definitely people into military culture that are going to love this. But what about those that aren't part of that culture? I remember trying to show my wife The Hurt Locker, which is a very personal story. I love that movie. Uh, you know, it's not just about all the, the technical aspects of bomb squads in, in the Middle East. And she's like, oh, this is a guy army film. I don't want to watch it. And like, we just turned it off after a half hour because she couldn't get into it. 
and oh boy, like uh, I can just imagine what would happen if I try to show her this one because this is so much more just that kind of like nuts and bolts. How do things work? And I kind of find that interesting, and I, I think that's interesting to see in film. I always like it when a movie could also educate you a little bit and you learn a little something here and there. And I do like the central conflict going on how do you get the crew off the sub make them think it's been destroyed but actually get it to america along with the commanders like all that stuff is interesting there's just a lot of uh you know this movie's all about being quiet but there's a lot of noise around that plot and and so i wish it was just streamlined a bit more i don't feel like this is a very emotional film i guess that that's the problem i don't get too excited or or just not very passionate about it but i think there's interesting stuff going on here and i think it looks you know except when we're underwater and you can't see anything. But when you're in the sub, I think those sets all look great. And so I give this one a weaker recommend. You know, it's good, but I can understand if you don't get through it all the way. Like, it's a tough one. But, you know, as far as submarine movies go, like DOS Boot and like this, don't watch down Periscope, but this is one of the better submarine movies. So, yeah, again, a a weaker recommend. Stuart, are you into dad bods? Because this movie definitely has a dad bod. (laughs) Even though it's directed by the architect of the modern action film, diehard director John McTiernan made this, but it sure don't feel it. It feels very old-fashioned. It reminds me of like war movies from the 50s and 60s. Things like The Great Escape or The Dirty Dozen. Please, those are good movies. Those are great. Be that as it may, it's a, it's a lot of tough guys talking. You know, like a lot of time is just spent with just manly men. And it's just not about, you know, today's audiences, they like movies to be on steroids, right? They like those unnatural physiques. They don't want reality. They want Vin Diesel in a fur coat roller skating backwards into the sub, you know, through a hoop of fire. Nobody actually wanted that. That sounds amazing, actually. <laughs> Does that happen in Triple X? Probably, but nobody watched it to find out. I, You know what I'm saying. There are plenty of movies that have been profitable because they go to those kinds of steroidal extremes. Yeah, that Fast and Furious with a submarine made more than this submarine movie, I'm sure. If that's your jam, no judgment, but you're, that's just not Tom Clancy. I mean, in the end, I don't think you want to go to the Clancy-verse. You will be bored with what he cares about. Again, insurance. He is literally counting the nuts and bolts on the submarine. And I think there's room for that. I think that the spy genre is big enough that we can have something a little bit more nerdy and strange. I was curious, given that I didn't like the book, how I was going to be with this movie. I mean, I feel like the reason why I can ultimately say Green Arrow, I enjoyed it, is that I I like the star power. I actually think it's just great fun to see Connery in this commanding part, surrounded by a cool cast of who's who guys Alec Baldwin his take on Jack Ryan I like watching him evolve from pupa into alpha male I think it takes most of the movie and sure if this were a movie more about psychology and developing characters you could have seen even more of that ditto Courtney B. Vance and Scott Glenn they're just not enough into this movie to count but they fit that theme about the difficulty of of trusting the underdog on the whole I don't see a lot of movies with submarines so I can't I can't really evaluate it and put it within the genre. I think that what I was thinking about was Dr. Strangelove, and this doesn't have the comedy or the suspense of that movie. It's not going to grab me. It doesn't feel politically savvy in the same way. But I consider it a decent launch for a new kind of spy, the insurance analyst with a gun. I'm happy to give it a recommend. I'm happy to follow Jack Ryan into the future. And I'm also glad that it won't be on a submarine next time. 
I think we all saw pretty much the same movie. I'm going to give this a recommend. I think that it's an interesting time capsule back to 1984 and 1990. I feel like we can get a whiff of American arrogance after having won the Cold War off the fact that all Americans are good. Everybody else might have some ineptitude. Even the good Russians still need American help, much like the real Soviet Union after Chernobyl. And my complaints about this have been that it doesn't have a lot of action or suspense. I mean, I think of it as a James Bond movie, a spy thriller, but very light on thrills. And there's so many people here that it's not a person story. It's definitely a plot story. The people you care about are the ones on the Red October, not Jack Ryan. So it's weird that it's a kickoff to a Jack Ryan series. He does a lot, but the people he interacts with are all inconsequential other than he has a support team. Ethan Hunt, he isn't in this case. This is mission quite possible, but yet I like the actors, I like the performances, I can't say I was weeping when Sam Neill died, but I found this movie to be enjoyable enough that having not seen it in 30 years, I was happy to see it again, and now I don't need to see it for another 30, though. It's not a strong (laughs) recommend. Yeah. I'm with you. Yeah, exactly. Like, it was fine. It's completely fine. It's solid. It told the story. I think, again, I have an extra layer of being impressed because I found the book to be very confusing. And while this movie is not unconfusing... You're like, give this film the Oscar for Best Adaptation. I do think they did a really good job of of finding a spine to that story and, and offering themes and giving more to Jack Ryan there. So, yeah, I just... I was impressed in a, you know, golf clap kind of way. It's just not going to bowl anybody over. But I made, that's my memory of all of the all of the Jack Ryan movies. We'll see. I've seen Patriot <laughs> Games, as Arnie said. We'll be covering that one next week. Are you sad Alec Baldwin won't be joining us? Like, that seems like this movie was all about setting him up to not to see who he's going to become is a little disappointing. Again, Jack Ryan is... is- almost to no one. He gets lost in the crowd in this one. So again, I was very surprised when the day I realized that he's playing the same character as Harrison Ford. So I, I don't mind that we're going to move on because I, I like what Baldwin does here. He just doesn't get a chance to do a whole lot. Yeah, I haven't seen Patriot Games since theaters. My memory is, damn, I wish they had Alec Baldwin back. <laughs> <laughs> that will be part of the discussion, I'm sure. <laughs> Yeah, we'll be getting to that movie next week. In the meantime, this Friday for patrons, we have a special request. (laughs) I'm seeing red already for Color of Night. Uh, Bruce Willis movie from 1994 has been requested, is our July patron movie. Get ready to laugh, folks. It's one going to put a smile on your face. Why do I think we will be seeing the color of red when we review that movie? (laughs) I can't see red, Arnie. I'm colorblind. It's just, it's gone to me. I've ever since I ran out that window. And speaking of patron shows, last Friday, if you were a patron, you got to finally hear Real Genius. It was our 1,001st review. It took over 1,000 reviews, probably half of which I mentioned Real Genius in, <laughs> before we actually gave it a full review. If you didn't hear that, head to nowplayingpatron.com. Sign up, you'll get to hear 40 bonus podcasts, including last Friday's Real Genius, and then this Friday's 41st exclusive podcast, The Color of Money. But in the meantime, also, Fridays are our live stream day. 
and we'll be covering a new movie for everyone to watch at the same time over at Hot Mike. That's right. This Friday is Marjorie's pick, and Marjorie has picked one of the classic Marvel Cinematic Universe films. Going way back to Phase 1, we're going to be watching Captain America, The First Avenger live with our listeners. It's going to be the entire Marvelicious Toys crew of Justin, Marjorie, and me, plus Stuart, Jacob, both of you, Brock, and then all of our listeners. It's going to be a fun time, and we hope you're able to join us. That is 9 p.m. Eastern on the Hot Mic app. It is available for Android and for Apple, so download that. If you haven't signed up for an account, when you sign up, use code NOWPLAYING, all one word, and then you can follow our show and join us as we chat and have a good time. You know, it's very, very different from our podcast. It's laid back. We are doing a live commentary about the film, but it's more also a chat with you guys, our listeners, a chance for you to get involved and tell us what you think about the movie we're watching as much as what we think. And ask us questions. And if you're there for that Godzilla show, you know that you can never know what's going to happen on the show. <laughs> Crazy stories told, a lot of fun. And you can't count on them being there if you're not there alive. So you got to join us then. Until next time, sorry, Mr. President, we don't dance. Stop the launch sequence. Last order here. Flash override. Stop the sequence. Stop the sequence. Order the planes to stand down. Take us to DEFCON 3. And would somebody ask Mr. Ryan if I can use the phone now? Thank you for listening to this episode of Now Playing Podcast. Anyway, you can get that Boy Scout on a field trip look off your face. Not a chance. That's what I like about you. We hope you've enjoyed the show. A great day, comrades. We sail into history. Come back to NowPlayingPodcast.com each week for another new movie review podcast. So, you feel like a movie this weekend? Also at our site, you can find hundreds of other movie reviews, including Star Wars, A Nightmare on Elm Street, Independence Day, The Avengers Films, Back to the Future, Batman, Superman, The Fast and the Furious, and more. He's listening to it on his headsets, and he's just happy as a clam. And then all hell breaks loose. Now Playing Podcast is a show without any sponsors or ads. We rely on support from listeners like you to keep Now Playing operating. Reciprocity. That's a clever name for it. You can donate to the show and, as our thank you, receive bonus podcasts. Over 150 bonus movie reviews are available to choose from on the Now Playing Podbean page, including Alien, Night of the Living Dead, Jurassic Park, Ghostbusters, Indiana Jones, Lord of the Rings, Psycho, Troll, and more. Find a full list of available bonus shows at nowplayingpodcast.com forward slash donate. When the world trembled at the sound of our rockets, they will tremble again at the sound of our silence. You can also join the Now Playing Patron campaign through our Podbean site. Patrons of $10 or more get a new exclusive movie review every month, plus even more perks, including one where you can pick a movie for our hosts to review. Find the details on our website. I want the money in my account. 
before I move an inch. You can help us out by leaving us a five-star review on Stitcher, Podbean, iTunes, or your other podcast store of choice. You're either with us or you're against us, Jimmy Boy. Make up your mind. Oh, I'm with you. That's all I wanted to hear. You can follow Now Playing on Facebook and Twitter, where we post announcements of new episodes and where the hosts post movie mini-reviews. Links to our social media pages are available on our homepage. Oh, did they hit anybody's Instagram, Facebook, Hopscotch, Reddit, no, anything? No, none. Now Playing Podcast is produced by Arnie Carvalho. When's the last time you slept? Wow. Associate produced by Jason Latham. If you disregard my counsel, if you keep running your business the way you have been, with your balls instead of your head, two things will happen. I'll quit, and you'll get killed. Now Playing is edited by Stephen, Heath, and Arnie. Like Beethoven on the computer, you have labored to produce. Now Playing credits read by Brock. And a voice cried out from heaven, saying, It is done. The opinions expressed on Now Playing are those of the individual hosts and may not reflect the opinion of Venganza Media Incorporated. I said, speak your mind, Jack, but Jesus. Venganza Media Incorporated is not affiliated with the motion pictures reviewed or otherwise referred to herein. I don't imagine the boys on the hill have proved this. All movie clips and music included in this podcast are the intellectual property of the respective copyright holders. They are included here for the purpose of review and no infringement is intended. But the day that I sell out my countrymen will be the day that I put a bullet through my own head. Now Playing Podcast is an exclusive trademark of Vinganza Media Incorporated. Now Playing is a Vinganza Media production, copyright 2020, and no part of this show may be reproduced, repurposed, or redistributed without the written permission of Vinganza Media Incorporated. All rights reserved. Welcome to the new world, sir. Right as the Russian submarine fleet has arrived to destroy the sub. Worse, there's a traitor on board. One of the cooks. He's tried to shoot all the command crew for defecting, but Ryan chases him down and kills him. Ramius pretends to self-sacrifice. This paragraph should be earlier. Um, <laughs> Did it get moved? Yeah, apparently so. Or <laughs> well, you could just skip it. Yeah, uh, I, I haven't noticed a difference. <laughs> I mean, I feel like, yeah, you got through. Okay. <laughs> so we don't care about what the rest of the crew? No. No, okay. definitely not. Yeah, because he gets those, he's got to have, what did you call that officer? What is he? Putin. <laughs> Putin. Yeah, his, his name is actually Putin. Oh, is it actually Putin? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>